give the My Church Band a hand one more time. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Well, hey, I am so excited and honored to be here. My name is Chris. I am Jeff's little brother. He's definitely better looking. He's older, but I'm occasionally more athletic. That's about it. So excited, so excited to be here. Who was at the very first ever, we're talking five and a half years ago, January 2010, first ever My Church service? You and me, girl, and Christy, and my mom. (laughs) The three of us. It was a little cold. It was out in the parking lot. It was Super Bowl Sunday, uh, and I was out there. I remember kind of gathering people in, and we were praying beforehand. Jeff's a little nervous. Is anybody going to come? We're starting this new church. I mean, he moved to Columbus. I mean, you know, we know his family's going to be here. Is anybody going to be here? And 10 and 20, and about 400 people later on Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, it was a packed house under the tent, which is now the parking lot, and I got to be there and do like Super Bowl trivia as people were coming in. It was like, stall, there's still cars. We don't know where people are parking. Here's another trivia question. It was so exciting then, and it's so exciting now just to see all the incredible ways that God has worked in your midst, all the lives that have been changed, uh, not through Jeff or the staff or the volunteers or the church, but God has used all of those and worked through them. Jesus has changed lives the past five and a half years Uh, many lives in the room in the first service and um, I just could not be more excited about the future of your church in so many ways you're just getting started momentum's just building such an incredible team so many incredible uh, people that are here at this church that make it their home so maybe this is your first time here welcome we're glad you're here jump right in and if you've been here for five years uh, or more uh, so exciting your investment in the lives of the people here and then people that will come from Columbus is so exciting so thanks it's an honor to be here um Jeff's mom passed away from cancer, and a few years later, his dad met my mom. And so Jeff became my brother in 1992. I was an only child, so I feel like he is my brother, uh, and he has been now for over 20 years. In fact, my mom and our dad are here today. They drove all night long from South Florida. They left South Florida after a birthday party at 9 at night. Anybody can, I can't do that anymore. My parents are doing that. So give a hand to my parents for being here. Thank you, our parents. Uh, my two daughters, uh, Grace and Emma, are here as well in the front row. Here's a quick uh, picture of my family. We live in Atlanta, Georgia. Actually, you know what? Skip, there's my family right there. My wife, Lindy, and my two boys. So, so excited to be here. Go back a second to two never-before-seen pictures of Jeff Murphy. The first is 1992. I cannot confirm or deny that Jeff Murphy may or may not have had a perm. Yes. I can't confirm that. You did not hear it here. I don't, there's a rumor going around. But he definitely spent a little bit of time with that hairdryer in the mirror in 1992. He's a stud. And the next picture, I love this one because it kind of symbolizes him. We're wearing our Miami swag back when Miami had swag and they were awesome. Uh, this is actually like the week he graduated from college with Christie in Lynchburg, Virginia from Liberty, 1992. But here he is, arm around. For those of you that know Jeff, uh, this is him. His arm around your shoulder. He's encouraging. He's challenging you. He's a big brother. He's a mentor. He's for you. And so I'm so excited uh, that Jeff is my brother. The last 20 years have been so encouraging to me. And for those of you that don't know him well, his vision for you and for this church is sacrifice his love of you and care for you and for not just you now, but for the future of this church and of this city to impact the church, the city, uh, the state, and uh, the world is remarkable. So I love my brother. I know those of you that know him well do as well. Couldn't be more proud of him and so excited to see all that's going on here. So I've got a great 
exciting opportunity to pick a, like, what, what a cool idea. Pick a movie you like and tell, talk about it and how it relates to the Bible. So this, is all, this is one of my favorite movies uh, of all time, Shawshank Redemption. Who, let's just switch it. Who has not seen Shawshank? Not seen it. My daughter's good. You won't for a few years. Uh, okay, so like four of you haven't seen it. Has anybody familiar with either the app or the website IMDB, Internet Movie Database? Anybody have that on their phone? It's a great app. It's like one of my favorite apps because you can, IMDB, Internet Movie Database, you can search any movie ever made. People, actors, what other movies were they in? When were they born? Where do they live? What, it's just like, it's, it's crazy. All, like every movie ever is archived in like one app. So every so often they have you rank your favorite movies. So it's always like every, I mean, it's, I think like 2 million people have this app. So it's like, what are the people that watch movies, not the critics or Hollywood, what do they say is their favorite movie? Shawshank gets a 9.3, which is the highest ranked movie in the entire database by people, by actually movie watchers, not critics. I mean, it beat out Godfather and beat out like Gone with the Wind or something. It's a, so it's number one on IMDb. So I love it because one, most people have seen it. Everybody loves it. There's so many different themes in this movie. I mean, literally, we could talk for 10 Sundays on the theme of hope, the, th- the theme of prison, the theme of jail, the judge, the jury, uh, escape. I mean, there's so many different things. I'm going to really focus on one theme, and it just so happens that the theme is the name of the movie, the Shawshank Redemption. I'm going to talk about the word redemption, what it means, what it should mean, what the Bible says it means, and we're going to unpack uh, what the word redemption means. But as I primarily listen more than give talks or sermons, there's always three things that I like when I'm sitting in your shoes watching the person up here. And I just kind of pray for, and they all three usually don't happen, but I hope today these three happen. And number one, I hope it's kind of short. I mean, you definitely can preach too long. I've never heard a sermon that's too short. Have you? I mean, it's, if it's short, that's okay. So this is going to be short. That's one. Number two, it's hopefully going to be memorable because I'm going to show a movie clip and I'm going to keep referring back to redemption, 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 redemption. And then number three, I want this to be impactful and not as much impactful as what I want you to then go and do, though that's very important, but I want it to be impactful in your lives, in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, because I want it to remind you of what Jesus has already done for us. So it's more inspiration than it is application. I'm going to let you figure out the application in your own life, but I feel like we just need to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us. And if we're reminded and refreshed and renewed, and what redemption really means, then we can apply it to our life however we, we might. So it's less about do, it's more about what he has done. I hope it's going to be memorable, but it will definitely be short and fun. So let me pray for us to begin. Father, thank you for the opportunity to speak today to my church. Thank you for Jeff and the Murphy family, the staff, the volunteers, everyone uh, that has given so much to, uh, to the lives of the people in this city. I pray for Columbus. I pray for our nation, I pray for the world, I pray for all the churches all over the world right now, millions and millions, probably a billion people worldwide are worshiping you, different countries, different languages, different denominations, and we're worshiping King Jesus, the rescuer, the redeemer, and the one that takes away and forgives our sins. Thank you for redeeming us. I pray that today we would believe what we hear. Give us the faith to believe it and allow us to remember it and to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's the number one ranked movie on IMDb of all time. And since only three of you haven't seen it, I'm going to give you just a quick glimpse of it. But to remind you, this is, you probably saw it either at the movie theater 20 years ago when Jeff had his hair thing going, or uh, you saw it on uh, either TNT or TBS 
Like, it's kind of like a Christmas story. Like, it's just, you just turn on TBS and it's sometime it's going to be on. It's an unbelievable movie, again, with tons and tons of application. We're going to focus specifically on the word redemption. But here's a quick clip to refresh your memory of the movie. They send you here for life. That's exactly what they take. I believe in two things. Discipline. Help me, In the Bible. Here you'll receive both. Andy came to Shawshank Prison in 1947. Why'd you do it? I didn't, since you asked. <laughs> you can fit right in. I must admit, I didn't think much of Andy the first time I laid eyes on him. He had a quiet way about him. A walk and a talk that just wasn't normal around here. There are places in the world that aren't made out of stone. There's something inside that they can't touch. What are you talking about? Hope. Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hey, dude, friend, you're putting me behind. Hope can drive a man insane. You better be sick or dead in there, I kid you not. I better get used to that idea. Oh, my holy God. I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living. You get busy dying. Get busy living, or get busy dying. That's damn right. Doesn't that want to make you see it again right there? Like, oh, keep playing. Don't stop and talk right now. Just keep showing the movie. Well, hey, it's 4th of July week. I thank you to all of our servicemen and women for protecting our freedom. What a great movie to watch during 4th of July week. Let's give them a hand. So if that whets your appetite a little bit, rent it, watch it on Netflix or something, and, and get the full part of the movie. So again, there's life and death. There's all kinds of justice. I mean, there's so many themes in this movie. It's incredible. But the primary theme, and to me the most memorable theme, is the title of the movie, The Shawshank Redemption. Now I'm going to make a statement that's pretty bold, and, I, and I, this is intentional to kind of flip this thing on its side and get us to look at it from a different perspective. The Shawshank Redemption is untrue in terms of how it defines redemption. Here's how this movie, though I love it, and it's exciting, we're cheering for the hero, we're cheering for the underdog to escape. Here's how this movie portrays and defines the word redemption. If you watch the two hours of the movie, it's going to define redemption like this. Andy Dufresne, an innocent man, wrongly convicted for someone else's crime who has hope in himself and digs himself to freedom and therefore redeems himself. It's a good story, but it's not the story of the Bible. In fact, it's the opposite. Here's the story of the gospel. This is why we're here today, is this. It's not about an innocent man wrongly convicted for someone else's crime. It's about us, guilty people, rightly convicted for our own sins who cannot scratch and claw and rescue ourselves, but need a rescuer to come to us on our behalf. True redemption, the only redemption that actually works, not just for the short term, but for the long term, for eternity, is redemption when it's done by somebody else to us. We have built all these everyday, functional, self-salvation projects, self-redemption projects, ways in which we crawl through the sewer for miles and miles and miles over 20 years, scratching, clawing, 
And if you remember the movie, every day he'd get about this much dirt. He'd put it in his pocket. He'd put it in his, uh, his uh, what's that called right there? You put the, ple- the cuff, the cuff of his pants, and he'd then go out to the field and he'd kind of shake it out. And he'd do this every day for like 22 years, over and over and over, digging and scratching and clawing. And there's something in us, right, that feels like we can do that. I mean, it might be work. It might be good works. It might be doing good deeds. It might be going to church. Uh, it might be uh, getting promoted. I mean, whatever it is, we, there's some part of our sinful nature that feels like, give me enough time and I can get myself out of this prison. Whether this prison for you is where you grew up or uh, your current situation or your health or your, wh- whatever it is you feel like you're where you are and you want to get out there, whatever's boxing you in your cell, the Bible would just call it sin. And here we are, and we got to figure out a way to get out of the prison that we live in. So here's the great definition. This is dictionary.com right here. De- definition of redemption. An act of redeeming or atoning for one's fault or mistake. Number two, deliverance or rescue. I love that definition. I'm going to come back to that. Number three, theology, deliverance from sin and salvation. Atonement for guilt. Repurchase as if something sold. Paying off, I'm going to come back to that in a little bit, paying off a debt or a mortgage or a bond, recovery by payment as of something pledged. Think about number two and three, deliverance from sin and salvation, deliverance and rescue. So the word redemption means rescue, okay? And really the entire world, all seven billion people at some point in their life, I don't really, to be honest, I don't really believe in a true, true, true atheist. I mean, I really think that almost everybody, I mean, I think everybody believes that there's something outside of themselves somewhere. They might call it something different, they might, but they believe that they're not the hero or the only part of the story. There's something else, right? And most people, 7 billion people in the world, at some point find themselves in a state of mind or a question that am, is where I am where I ultimately want to be. Am I stuck in a prison of sorts? Is the world the way it should be or is there something else out there? Is there a way of escape? Is there something better? Is there hope? Is there joy? Is there, you know, a grand plan, a story? Does the good guy win? Is there something outside of this eight-foot jail cell that I'm living in? And we could have fun in our jail cell and we could do things in our jail cell, but I think everyone asks the question, seven billion people, is there something else outside of these walls? I think everyone at least asks the question. And if they ask the question, they really only have two ways to go. And here it is. Redemption... All other religions versus Christianity. Christianity is the only worldview. It's the only religion. It's the only belief system. It's the only faith that differs in the way we think about redemption, which is rescue, right? And here's the way every other religion I've ever seen defines it. In one way or another, when you get, strip away all the theology and the talk and the philosophy and the, the books they read and whoever their founder was, at the end of the day, Every other religion, in some way, maybe it's 1%, maybe it's 50-50, it's a story about how you, how we, how the world can crawl their way through their own sewer pipe, scratching, fistful of dirt, dirt, fistful of dirt over 20 years or a lifetime, and eventually escape. You can somehow. It might be even through good deeds, prayer, and going to church, or getting baptized, or doing good things, or giving money away, or moving to a monastery, or worshiping. It's up to you to dig your way out. Only Christianity tells a story about a redeemer, a rescuer that comes to us, that takes our place because ultimately we can't dig our way out. In fact, anybody familiar with C.S. Lewis? I love C.S. Lewis. Most people are familiar with him. He's an author of the Chronicles of Narnia. It's been made into a great movie series. Most people are familiar with his children's books, Chronicles of Narnia. He was a professor. He was super smart. He wrote Mere Christianity. I mean, he's one of the smartest Christian thinkers 
of all time. And he was posed with the question, okay, there's so much going on. I mean, I hear so much talk and there's so many voices saying this is the right way, this is the right path, this is the right faith, belief, worldview, system, religion. Like, what is Christianity really at the end of it? What's its distinctive? How is it different than everything else? And he said this, grace is Christianity's great distinctive. And grace is this direction versus this direction. It's about someone rescuing me as opposed to me rescuing myself. Now, very few people that are religious would say, it's up to me 100% to rescue myself. Very few people would say that. What usually is the case is, well, it's kind of 50-50. Here's what God does. Here's what I do. Here's what God does. God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible. That's like the worst theology, worst of all time. But really, that's, that's almost every other belief system. And it might be you only do 1% or 5%, but God's going to do 90%. The gospel of grace, what Jesus taught and lived, what the Bible contains. The reason we're here today is because we're celebrating through these songs, through fellowship with one another. We're celebrating the fact that we are locked in prison. And you give us 20 years or 2,020 years, we cannot dig our way through the sewer pipes to freedom. True freedom comes not through us digging our way out, but by Jesus descending to heaven, becoming a man, entering in the cell and the sewer pipes with us and digging us out to freedom. When he says, I have come, when Jesus walks up in the temple, opens the scrolls, which is the big deal, and says, I have come to set the captives free. What he's saying is, I'm going in the jail. I'm going to climb and crawl my way out. I'm going to open up the gates, and anybody that follows me, we're all coming out together. So it's not a story, Christianity, this Jesus thing, grace, what we're talking about and teaching and what you believe. It's not a story about us digging ourselves out of the jail. It's a story about Jesus coming into our prisons and our jails and giving us freedom and rescuing and redeeming us. So what sometimes happens, at least it does for me, whenever you see a story Whatever the story is, a movie, you read a book, whenever there's a good narrative in front of you, there's usually any good narrative that's, I mean, like 99% of movies, I tell my kids this all the time, oh, that Pixar movie, that Disney movie, there's usually a good guy and a bad guy, we call them in in like the world of literature, the protagonist and the antagonist. Usually the protagonist, you kind of tell the story, you kind of get to like them, and then there's a challenge. Something happens, something goes wrong, and that protagonist has to overcome it and then ultimately win, right? That's like every good story. You you want there to be a challenge. Well, for us, there's creation, then there's sin. Sin and Satan are the antagonist. Jesus comes in as the protagonist and rescues us and saves us. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. That's the gospel. We're created perfect. Uh Uh-oh, something went wrong. Sin into the world. We can't dig ourselves out. Jesus comes and saves us and redeems us and restores us as his children, right? That's like every good story has that element to it, right? And we love that. But sometimes what I do is I, when I see a good story, like Shawshank, I read myself into the protagonist perspective. That's me. I'm Andy. Yes. I'm going to claw my way out. I'm going to be the hero. The truth is, I'm going to show you a great Bible story of this in just a second. We're not Andy. We're the guy in the cell next door who's been rightly convicted guilty on three accounts of murder. And we're going to spend our entire life or on death row, justly, rightly so, living out our sentence because we have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, you've heard this verse. This is like the top, you made a list of like Christians' favorite verses. This would definitely be on the top three or four. Romans 3.23. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Here we are. We're in jail, and we're not there by accident. The judge didn't make a mistake. It wasn't someone else's fault. It was our fault. We are guilty. But listen to verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So instead of the Shawshank redemption, every time you see the title, you think about this, what's the one thing I want you to know? It's the Jesus redemption. And the Jesus redemption is not about you and me crawling our way out. It's about Jesus coming to us, opening the gates, and letting the entire jail out. He was innocent, and he came on our behalf. So instead of, here's my first summary of the movie, the innocent man wrongly convicted for someone else's crime who has hope in himself and digs himself to freedom and therefore redeems himself, it's actually the opposite. The guilty man, rightly convicted for his own sins, who has hope in a rescuer who would take his place and redeem him. That's our hope, that someone will come. We cannot hope that one day, give me enough time, I will crawl my way out of this jail. We can't give up hope in that. Hope in the fact that someone will come because someone has come and his name is Jesus entering into our prisons and our sin and opening up the doors and setting the captives free and leading us out to freedom. This is what's called by like Bible teachers. You got to hear Christy's dad, Dr. Heinz, if you're here last, last week, who's just incredible. So this is like a theological term, but it's a great word. It's called the great exchange. And the great exchange is when Jesus on the cross takes our place. This is the greatest of all stories. We are guilty. So in a sense in the movie, we're not Andy. Jesus is Andy. We're the inmate a few cells over that is rightly convicted. But the innocent man is Jesus, and he's taking our place. So I have a phenomenal Bible story about someone who's rightly convicted and wrongly convicted in Mark. And I'm sure you've heard this at one point in your life. This is such a good story, but I really want to drive this home because I think this is the, this is the Jesus redemption instead of the Shawshank redemption. Mark 15, verse 6. Let me just set the stage. In Mark 15, uh, this is the Thursday before Good Friday. Good Friday is a few hours away. Jesus had the Last Supper. He did his ministry on earth. He's about to die. He's been betrayed. He washed the disciples' feet. This is where we are in the time frame. And he's delivered over to Pilate because Peter denied him. So he's standing before Pilate, and he's about to get crucified. Okay, here's the conversation that happens between uh, that Jesus is part of uh, and then Pilate's uh, talking about. This is Mark chapter 15, verse 6. Now at the feast, he used to release, he's talking about Pilate, Pilate used to release for them one prisoner from whom the crowd asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. If you've read the Bible before, you probably heard of Barabbas's name. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for him what he usually did. Okay, so pause real quick. This is a crazy <laughs> yearly tradition. It's crazy, but it's to emphasize grace. It had been distorted and it had been messed up and they had taken, it, was a tradi- it just became a tradition over time, but originally it had a great meeting. So this would be like once a year, President Obama saying, all right, pick the worst terrorist in Gitmo, whoever it is, just pick them. We're going to let them go free. But we need someone to take their place. What? Are you kidding me? The, wor- the worst of the worst? Yeah, this is how bad he was. Pilate, uh, excuse me, called Barabbas. The crowd usually began to ask Pilate to do what he usually did. He answered, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews, Jesus, the innocent man? 
For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had Jesus delivered up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas instead. And Pilate said again, What shall I do with this one you call the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Crucify him! Pilate said, Well, why? What evil has he done? Even Pilate knew this guy is innocent. They shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas and had Jesus delivered over to be crucified. This is called the great exchange. Okay, so here's what's so crazy about the story. The innocent man becomes guilty. The guilty man becomes innocent. You're wearing on your neck crosses. It's on your ring. It's on your arm. You got it tattooed. Somewhere on half of our bodies is a cross, right? That cross, four, four hours prior to this, right here was designed and built and ready for Barabbas. Like on the hill, on Golgotha, we're going to put the worst guy there. Between two thieves, that was Barabbas. Had the story, had they voted this direction instead of this direction, give us Barabbas instead of give us Jesus, that was Barabbas' cross. I mean, everything you've seen of Jesus, that was about to be, until this story, that was about to be Barabbas. That was him. The guilty man, insurrectionist, murderer, like the terrorist of his day, needs to pay for his crimes. And how are they going to do it in the Roman Empire? We're going to put him on the hill in the middle of thieves. We're going to crucify him. It's going to be long. It's going to be painful. And we'd be like, you know what? He deserves it. This guy killed people. He tried to overthrow the government. This is a bad dude. The Romans were kind of bad dudes, but they were also just in some ways. So they were just punishing an, an uber criminal, right? So that cross, if this story had gone that direction, would have been Barabbas's cross. But what happens? Jesus takes it exchanges, not by chance, before the foundations of the world. God knew this was going to happen. God ordained this to happen. God had Jesus enter into the story and be born so that Jesus would take Barabbas' cross. He didn't just take Barabbas' cross. Remember, we can't read ourselves into the protagonist hero of the story. We're the antagonist in the story. We're the reason Jesus died. We are Barabbas. That was our cross. We're wrongly, rightly accused we deserve death. We deserve punishment for our sins. And then here comes Jesus taking our cross on his behalf so that we can go free. This is the great exchange. My sin goes to Jesus. So here's what's really cool. If anybody's familiar uh, with any of the New Testament, Barabbas is, it's kind of two names, Bar-Abbas. Bar, like Simon Bar-Jonah. There's a bunch of different bars. Bar means son of. This would be Gra- uh, Grace Bar-Chris, Right? Son of, Bar, Abba. What does Abba mean? The Father. Son of the Father. Because when Jesus took Barabbas' place, Barabbas became the Son of God the Father, which was Jesus' role. Jesus didn't just take his sin. Jesus gave his title and his name and his acceptance into God's family. The insurrectionist, the sinner, the murderer, became the son of God. We can become sons and daughters of God when Jesus takes our cross. When we acknowledge that that was, it is, it should be my cross because it is my sin. I can't crawl my way out of this tunnel. This isn't my redemption. The Jesus redemption is him taking my place. It's the great exchange. The innocent man wrongly convicted is not the story. It's the guilty man. That's us rightly convicted. Let me give um, one more just analogy that I think will kind of, I think will work. There's something even greater than just redemption. And redemption is the exchange and the rescue leading me out of prison. 
But if I'm out of prison and I'm barefoot and I'm glad I'm not in there anymore, but now what? I spent the last 22 years in jail. No one knows me. I don't know anybody anymore. I don't have any money. I mean, here I am. That's ha- Rescue and redemption is half of the biblical story. But what also happens in the great exchange is that we don't just, Jesus doesn't just take our sin, we also take his righteousness. Here's the example, okay? Most of us in one way or another have some sort of debt. 27 bucks on your credit card, $27,000 worth of student loans, $200,000 on a house, 30000 on a car. I mean, we, we have or did have or will have some sort of debt. Most debt we have, most, is payoffable over time. It might take us 20 years to knock that house payment down, 30-year mortgage. I mean, but most of the time, given enough time, we can pay off the debt, right? A payment plan of sorts. So if you had a debt right now, I just told you, sorry, bad news, guys. This is true. It's not a joke. You owe $25,000. That would be crushing. You'd be depressed. But given enough time, I mean, it might take you 25 years. You call some friends. You work out something. There's a payment plan. You could pay off that debt given enough time because the debt is, it's not overwhelming. It's not going to kill you. But what if you owed the bank $17 million? You might be the richest person in here. You might make a quarter million dollars a year. That's great. You can't pay off $17 million. I mean, unless you are, you know, LeBron James or something, you're just, you're not going to pay it off. I mean, the bank, you owe it. Okay. So it would be like you walking into the bank. Other religions would say, I I owe, you know, $20,000. I'm going to spend my life paying it back. The bank will give me a payment plan, right? President of the bank will say, you owe it? Yep. Here's your payment plan. But what Christianity does is we, we raise the law so much, we believe that we are falling short of God's law. In fact, we say it, it is so hard to hit, it's impossible. It's like me jumping to the moon. I might jump a foot, an inch taller than somebody else because I'm a little bit tall. I'm not going to get to the moon. It just doesn't matter. $17 million, it's not going to get paid off. Redemption is me walking in the bank and the bank president saying, I know you owe $17 million. Your payment is forgiven. It's paid in full. That's redemption. That's only half of the story. That's the half that most Christians get. And that's exciting and that's great news. Jesus took my sins, I'm free. But guess what else happened? It's also like the bank president saying, oh, by the way, come walk around the counter for a second. Hey, ladies, tellers, just kind of let them through. Well, here's our vault. Check out this computer right here. Yep, see that? 300 million. Yep, that's the bank's assets. And guess what? I'm now transferring all the bank's assets to you. Not only is this the forgiveness of debt, it's the assigning of something you didn't deserve. The great exchange is Barabbas not having to die for his sins, but Jesus dying in his place. And it's also Barabbas being named, us being named, sons and daughters of the Father. We don't just, Jesus doesn't just take our sin, we also take his righteousness. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. There's nothing we can do to make God love us less. When he looks at you, when he looks at me, if I'm in Christ, if I follow Jesus, if I trust in him, God doesn't see Chris, doesn't see John, doesn't see Christy. You know who he sees? He sees his son, Jesus. This is the great exchange. This is true redemption. It's not just him taking our sins, but also him giving us undeserving former prison inmates, giving us his righteousness. The forgiveness of sins, this is the gospel. And here's the best verse in closing that summarizes what I just said. 
2 Corinthians 5, whoops, 29. Let me read it from the screen. 21, thank you. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. This might be the toughest thing for Christians to actually get with our hearts. We might get it and say it with our mouths or get it with our head. When God looks at you right now, regardless of last night or this week or what you just did, he doesn't see you. If you trust in Jesus, he sees his son. It was Barabbas' cross, now it's Jesus. It was your sin, it's Jesus that now bore that for us, and we have his righteousness. This is the gospel. Jesus takes our sin, and we take his righteousness. He has come to set the captives free. The story of Christianity, everything we believe and do, is not about us working through and crawling through the sewer to redeem and rescue ourselves. The Jesus redemption is about him coming to earth, entering in our place, sitting in our prison cell, unlocking the doors, and letting the captives free. And in doing so, we, like Barabbas, are sons and daughters of the Father. We're part of his family. This is the grace of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us today of what your son did. He takes away our sins. He gives us his righteousness. He loves us before we loved him. We do because he has done. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he means he has paid for our sins. Father, I pray right now, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you as their savior, that has heard the good news of the gospel, They've heard the bad news that they're sinners. They've heard the good news that you're perfect and they want to trust in you. Father, I pray right now you'd work in their life and their heart. You would give them faith to believe. You would allow them to trust in you. Father, thank you for coming into the story as the hero. Thank you for coming into the jail and rescuing us and unlocking the doors. We deserve death. You've taken our cross and you have set us free by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.